0: Genesis 8 6. Then it came about, at the end of forty days, that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. And then he put out his hand and took her, and he brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Last week, we began with a brief look at the beginnings of Christianity in the early church. We went to Acts chapter 2, and I want you to do that again. Go ahead and flip your Bibles over there. Acts chapter 2, and we'll be there in just a moment. You might want to keep a finger in Genesis 8 and another finger in Acts chapter 2. But we recognized last week three key tools to the building of a church, understanding that the Lord builds His church, and these are tools the Lord uses in the building of His church. We talked about the sword. That is the Word of God that God uses to build His church. We talked about the saved. And what I mean by that is simply the church just being the church. We live in a day and an age where the church, or at least churches, are trying awfully hard to be something that they're not. To be something other than simply the church. When we see churches that are they're trying to be flashy, trying to be impressive, trying to do so many things in order to reach people, that they're losing sight of just being what God has called us to be. My hope for the British Christian Fellowship is that we can just be the church being the church. It's a very simple proposition, and so the Lord uses the sword of the word. He uses the saved as tools for building his church, and also he offers his spirit. His spirit. That's the third person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you need to understand right off the bat that third person does not mean third place. A lot of times the Holy Spirit is relegated to third place. He's the gopher of the three. You know, he goes and does the stuff that the Father and Son are too busy to do. And that's not the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, I think over the last 2,000 years, our understanding of the Holy Spirit has gotten a little detached. The reality is is that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. My Spirit, the the essence of truly who I am, that's me. It's it's not the flesh, it's not the the bones and blood and and the faith. It's not what you see before you, it's what you know. And as we come into relationships with each other, with other people, the more we know someone, the more we become in touch with their spirit, which is who they really are. As a kid, I used to worry about going to heaven and, and wonder when I got there, how am I going to recognize anybody? We get all these new bodies. How am I going to know where my mom and dad are? I won't be able to find them. And as I grew older, I began to realize we don't recognize each other by our physical appearance once we know each other, do we? We see the spirit. Because that's who we truly are. The Holy Spirit is simply who God is. So when God sends out His Spirit, it's God. When the Spirit of Jesus is out there among us, it's Jesus. One and the same God. Listen to these verses. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Psalm 51 verse 10 David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, Change my spirit, renew it, make it clean again. Then he goes on to say, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Acts chapter 16, verse 7. This is interesting. Now we move into the New Testament. And Luke is writing and he says, after they, talking about Paul and a bunch of his friends who were on a missionary journey, after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Is this a different spirit now? We've got the spirit of God in the Old Testament now we have the spirit of Jesus? No, one and the same spirit. This is still the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 1 verse 19, Paul writing from prison writes, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. One and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Whether it's the Spirit of God moving across the waters in the beginning, or the Spirit cleaning up David's life, or the Spirit of Jesus stopping Paul and company from going into a certain place to send them somewhere else, it's all one and the same Holy Spirit of God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about an it. We're not talking about a force, or an energy, or a cheerleading squad. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is simply the person of God moving, living, breathing among us. Now, today, in the world we live in, there is a great deal of interest in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's a great deal of dissension about what the Holy Spirit's role is in the church. There are churches who believe that the Holy Spirit uh, worked very actively in the first century church, but that activity ceased those churches would be called cessationist churches because they believe that at a certain point in history, the activity, with the last of the apostles, the activity of the Holy Spirit in people's lives ceased. And now what we get is basically kind of a glorified word processor that the Holy Spirit just kind of teaches us the Bible. But that's, that's about the limit. And I'm sorry, but I don't read that in Scripture. We're going to look at this closely this morning. Churches are increasingly interested in our day and in our time In the Holy Spirit. Why is that? I personally believe that it's directly linked to where we are in history. I'm convinced that we have come to the last chapter of God's history. Listen to what the Apostle Peter had to say about it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and keep your fingers in Acts, we'll get there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Peter writes the following, and some of you are familiar with this. Knowing this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now Peter says when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which at that time was destroyed, the world was destroyed, being flooded with water. Now listen to this, and this is great news. When people scoff at the thought that the end is near, Peter says it's actually a strong indication that the end is here. When people scoff at it, make fun of it, say, oh, come on, We've been here billions and billions of years, and we'll probably continue to be here billions and billions of years. And nothing has changed since the beginning of time. All things go on just as they are. That kind of thought, that kind of mocking, which is prevalent in the world today, Peter says is a very strong indication that we are in the last days. Well, Peter reminds us also that Noah heard the very same thing. The same kind of mocking and scoffing. Come on, Noah. The skies are blue and the fields are green. What makes you think the end is near? Nice boat. This was the attitude that Noah had to deal with. What are you building there? But we know, looking back from this point in history, that Noah did live in the last days of planet Earth, don't we? That he was in the end times, as it were, in those days. That the end was very near. But here's the good news. and listen closely to this. I know, even for some believers in Christ... That talking about the end times leaves them uneasy. I see it. Now there are those whose faces light up. There are those who when you start talking end times, you even use the phrase last days and they get really excited. I'm one of those. But there are also those who when they hear of end times, they just they get, it creeps them out. And even being believers in Jesus, there's a sense of worry there. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready for the end times. I mean, I think about my friends and my family who are not saved. I think about that I might be measured and found wanting. And so if this is truly the end times, I've got some house cleaning to do. I've got to get my life in order. I'm not sure I want to do that. We certainly don't like it when the comfort of daily life is disturbed. But there's really good news considering life in these times. The bad news is that stoppers will come with their stopping. People will mock. People will make fun of the belief in Jesus. Or that Jesus is going to return. But the good news, well the good news we see in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the story to you. When the day of Pentecost had come. Now this is 50 days after, after the Passover. So think about this. 50 days after the Passover. Paul tells us that. Or Luke tells us that Jesus stuck around for 40 days after his resurrection. Okay. And then 10 days after the ascension was Pentecost. It was only 10 days after Jesus left the earth that this happened. And it says when the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. Suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Quick side note, since they filled the whole house where they were sitting, there is great indication to believe that the house where they were sitting was in fact the temple that it wasn't a house off somewhere else, that the phrase house, which is used for God's house, for the temple in the Bible, may well indicate that that's where they were, that they were in the temple when this happened. But read on. Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying why are not all these men who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and districts of Libya from around Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes Cretans and Arabs We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another what does this mean? But there were mockers. (laughs) There was mocking and saying oh they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. They're just having themselves a little party." Verse 14, But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. No, it is only the third hour of the day. If we're going to get drunk, we would do that a whole lot later. (laughs) It's only the third hour of the day. Verse 16, But this was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Peter clues in. He knows what's happening here. And he begins... To reference prophecy. Listen to this. It shall be. Peter says. In the last days. quoting Joel. God says. That I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves. Both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they will prophesy. Peter says, this is not drunkenness that you're seeing here. This is the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. The last days, Peter says, have begun. It's now. And we've been living in the last days ever since. The last days have begun with an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Now, before we go any further, you need to understand Pastor Rick's personal experience with the Holy Spirit. Because I was not raised... I was raised in a secessionist church that believed and taught, and this is what I grew up with, that the Holy Spirit ceased to do what He does, at least in a manifest way, in a way that people could really see, with the last Apostle's death. And then from then on out, it was pretty much the Word and, and man hanging in there. That's how I was raised. That's what I understood. I wasn't particularly charismatic. Folks, you need to know that my personal traditions haven't lent themselves to radical experiences in the Holy Spirit. But I have always wondered, always longed for, always wanted to know what this great gift was that Jesus promised when He said the following in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you will know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after just a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. John 14:23. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. And I want that. Jesus, I want your Spirit. I I want to be in the flow of what He's doing. How about you? In these last days, do you want to be caught up in the outpouring of God's Spirit? Do you want to experience His Spirit alive and at work and doing things in your life? It is not a surprise. It's not something that, that we should miss as believers. It's a promise that Jesus made. I don't know if I want this outpouring. No, does that mean I'm going to be like weird? (laughs) I'm going to start doing things out of control? I'm going to walk outside and be at the grocery store ordering something and suddenly start speaking in another language out of control? What's this look like? What does it mean to be caught up in the flow, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Flip in your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's just be clear about what it means to be caught up in the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Paul is writing and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I think that's interesting. Either way, you're not really doing the things that you please. Okay? Either way, if you reject the Spirit and live by the flesh, the flesh has got you. But if you accept the Spirit and live by the Spirit, the Spirit has got you. So the choice is not personal self-control. The choice is who you're going to give your control to. God's Spirit or the flesh. He goes on and describes it pretty graphically. He says in verse... Where were we? 18. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Good news. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that these or those who practice such things will not inherit the spirit or will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you a question. What would you rather have? These things that Paul just listed or access to God's kingdom. Would you rather have these things of the flesh or would you rather have God's backstage pass? I mean, if you want strife, if you want anger, impurity... If you prefer to walk around in a drunken stupor Or experience sensuality to the point that your senses are dull And intimacy is unreachable Oh, you can have that You can make that choice And if that's what you want Then I'm telling you this morning The Holy Spirit is probably not your cup of tea Because those are not the things of the Spirit I I saw a movie recently Not recommending it Okay Some of you may have seen it Something's got to give Very, very funny movie But about halfway through the movie, this is the one with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. And about halfway through the movie, it struck me what we were watching here. It was a life that was all about sensuality, immorality. It was all about a man, an older man, a man in his 60s who was never with any woman for very long. But when he was with a woman, she was in her 20s. That was kind of his cup of tea. That was his woman of choice. And the thing that was interesting, and I don't know if Hollywood meant it on purpose or if it just kind of came out there as a very real truth. But what was interesting is he had no clue what true intimacy was. The thing about sensuality, folks, is that when we give ourselves over to it, we lose out on God's plan, which is a beautiful, wonderful intimacy. Intimacy is not experienced one night or two nights. Intimacy is experienced in a matter of years. In relationship with somebody. Well, a little side note, but look at verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul goes on, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let's also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So the question remains, folks, you have two very clear pictures here. To live in the outpouring of the Spirit, in which you live with the fruit of the Spirit, or to live for the flesh, which is all those other things that we talked about. The question remains, which one do you want? following that, we ask the question, and this is where it gets sticky. It shouldn't. It's very clear in the Bible. How can I get caught up in the last days outpouring of God's Holy Spirit? How can I get wrapped up in God's Spirit? Well, Genesis chapter 8 gives us a great picture of this very thing. So flip back to Genesis chapter 8. The Old Testament, while you're flipping back there, the Old Testament is not only full of history, folks, but it is full of pictures that help us understand spiritual things in the New Testament. I've shared this with a few of you before, that the New Testament is the best commentary for the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is the best way of understanding the New. The two books are so important to study and read and understand and know together. And so throughout the Old Testament, we have beautiful word pictures. We have the the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And how their whole experience of salvation is very much like ours. We have Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis. Abraham's called to sacrifice his son. A word picture, a beautiful picture of the father sacrificing Jesus in the new. And the Old Testament is full of those. And this is simply one of those. Verse 6 of chapter 8. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. First off, what is the ark a picture of? What's the ark a picture of in the Old Testament? It's a picture of salvation. It is the method by which God saved Noah and his family. So, as we just look at the story of Noah and the ark, it is a salvation story. At a time of the destruction of the world, a family was saved by God.
1: And those of you who have been in our Genesis study so far, you know we talked about this. The ark
0: had on it one door. One door, which is a great picture of Jesus, who is the door. Jesus says, I'm the door for the sheep. I'm the way in. There is one way to the Father, and it is through me. And in verse 6 and 7, we see another picture here. It's interesting, this raven. We talked about Wednesday night. That the raven is a bird. It's a carrion bird. It scavenges, it picks from the flesh of dead animals, and God calls the raven unclean. He calls the raven unclean. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 13. The Lord speaking says, Moreover, you shall detest among the birds these. They are abhorrent. They are not to be eaten. The eagle and the vulture and the buzzard and the kite and the falcon in its kind. Every raven in its kind. These are unclean birds. Now, just this last week, I was sitting out on the porch of the little house right over here where we're saying... And that's uh, the only place my cell phone works. So I'm out there early morning in my pajamas, you know, trying to talk to someone on my phone. And I looked out on the pond, and it was beautiful. This, this eagle came flying down over the pond, just wings spread wide. And then, and this was completely awesome. As I'm looking at the eagle, I looked down, and there was a blue heron right there, standing very still in the pond. Didn't move an inch. And I'm watching the eagle fly and the blue heron there, and I'm on the phone going, I'm living in paradise, man. <laughs> And I kept watching that blue heron, and I watched, and I watched, and I watched, and it didn't move. You know how they do that? I mean, they can stand still for hours. About a half hour later, Rod called me up, and he said, Hey, Rick, there's an eagle flying out over the pond. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I saw it. And I said, Did you see the blue heron? And he said, Yeah, actually, I see that every day because it's a, it's a decoy. <laughs> 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 Beautiful stuff, Yeah. So Noah sent out a raven And the raven here is a picture of evil It truly is a picture of Satan For the raven, the Bible tells us Didn't come back to Noah at all He sent the raven out And it began to fly to and fro all over Where did it fly? I put it to you that it flew from one body to the next Of the bloated dead animals That had been drowned in the flood Picking and eating and making its way back and forth And that's a picture A very clear picture Of Satan in our world It's what he does Picks and chews and eats and bites at and digs at people's lives. That's what Satan is about. But, though Jesus taught that in the last days things will get darker, and they are getting darker. In fact, one more side note. Did it get better? Was it a better week? Hello? We need to be praying, folks, specifically for our, our students in high schools. Heather was talking about Oak Harbor High School in specific, but Anacortes High School is a very similar situation. There's a lot of darkness. A lot of darkness. And Wednesday night, Heather brought it up and we were praying about that and talking about that. There is an incredible amount of darkness in the world. The more spiritually sensitive you get, the more you will be aware of the darkness. You will feel it. You will sense it. You'll know it. You'll know it. But, in the spirit, understand, not only will we be more aware of things that are dark, things will become more illuminated. The Holy Spirit will light us up. And as the raven is out scavenging, at the same time, Noah does something. Look at what he does. Verse 8. He sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. Noah sends out the dove. Now, the dove is a beautiful word picture of what in the Bible? A Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. We see that in Jesus baptism, which is recorded in all four gospels, that as Jesus comes up out of the water, the dove comes down out of heaven, a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and rests on his shoulder. The Father says, "This is my son, with whom I'm well pleased." The the spirit is there, the son is there. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. What is it about the dove that represents the Holy Spirit? Let me give you three quick things that you might want to jot down if you're taking notes. Number 1, the dove reminds us of the purity of Of the Holy Spirit. The purity of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you knew this. It's something I just learned this last week. Doves secrete more oil onto their feathers than any other bird alive. And this oil that they secrete on their feathers is what keeps them so clean. It keeps the dirt and grime and filth off, and it keeps them clean and pure and their feathers white and beautiful. That oil does that. In fact, the dove is called one of the clean birds in Scripture. It's interesting to me because oil is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see that in scripture very clearly. Whenever a priest or a king was anointed by oil, it was a symbol of the presence of God's Spirit on that person. Example, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It tells us that the prophet Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon... That word upon is important, just... Tuck that away. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. In the same way today, when we receive the Spirit of Christ, He seals us. He purifies us. He covers us, just as David was anointed with oil. So the dove reminds us of the purity of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 Peter said to the people in this great message he was giving on the first day of the church. He says, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's a promise when you come to the Lord. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation So then, verse 41 tells us, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit purifies, seals us, protects us, all the way until the day of our redemption. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, or the dove, reminds us of the passion of the Holy Spirit. In the dove we see the purity of the Holy Spirit, but also reminds us of the passion of the Holy Spirit. you know doves are one of the few animals in the animal kingdom that actually mate for life? They will pair up with one other dove and they will stay together for the rest of their lives. And what happens when one of the two spousal doves dies, the one left alive will change its song into a mourning song. Now the great theologian Prince pointed this out in his song, When Doves Cry. Actually, the artist who formerly was known as Prince. Or whatever he's calling himself now, I don't know. (laughs) But doves are one of these few animals. And if their spouse dies, they mourn. They actually, and they will never mate again after that. Interesting. The Holy Spirit is the same way. Did you know that you can impact the feelings, the emotional state of God and His Spirit? That what you and I actually. Impacts the way God feels. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.30 Paul says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like the picture of the dove, we can grieve the Spirit. We can hurt God's feelings. We can impact the emotional state of our Father, of His Spirit. We can grieve Him by the choices we make and in the lives that we live. How? Well, when I wander toward the death of sin... But again, the dove, like the, the Spirit, like the dove, mates for life. The Holy Spirit mates for life. Boy, when you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, when He comes upon you in that day, you are covered. The Bible calls it the seal of our redemption. The guarantee. The Father will look at each person who has accepted Jesus, lived that life. He will look at them in the day that we go home, and He'll look to see if we have the seal. And that seal is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit living with us. I think that's partially why the church is called the bride, because the spirit mates for life. And once the spirit has mated with you, has come to you, he will never leave. You may think he's gone because of choices you're making. You may not be able to sense him from time to time because you've kind of turned away, walked away, but he is there and he mates for life. Well the dove reminds us of the passion of, of the Spirit of Jesus, of the purity of God's Spirit. The dove also reminds us of the peace of God's Spirit. Well known also in the animal kingdom that doves will not be around busyness and activity. They simply don't like it. And also we have that picture of the dove and the olive branch that that we see even today as a symbol of peace. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And all of these things, folks, point us to the Holy Spirit. Now let's read on. Genesis chapter 8 verse 9. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. Again, let me remind you that ravens fly around and feast and gorge. And that's what the raven was doing. At the same time, both birds are let out. The ravens feast and gorging, moving around, not coming back. The dove is not looking for something to eat. The dove is not looking for a feast. The dove is looking for somewhere to rest. Somewhere to sit down. Somewhere to literally abide. Gang, listen to me on this. The Holy Spirit is looking for a place to live. He is looking among hearts of people on the earth for a place to reside. A place literally to find his abode. This is what the Spirit wants. And the question I ask is, is there room for him to land in your heart? Is there room for the Holy Spirit to act and move in your life? Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Tells us that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That phrase, strongly support, I love saying Hebrew words because mostly I get them wrong. But I like saying them because they're so descriptive, just in sound. The word strongly support is actually kazakh. Kazakh, which means to seize with his strength. So, reading it that way, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may seize with His strength those whose hearts are His. He wants to seize us, to grab hold of us, to, to live, to abide in our lives. He's literally looking to commandeer our hearts, so that He may empower us with His Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. That the Father wants to call your heart his home. Is there room in your heart for the Spirit to reside? Is there a place in the Bridge Christian Fellowship for the work of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray for a second, and then we're going to go on a little bit longer. Holy Spirit, at this point in our study, I just I pray you would take over. And I pray that you would teach us and touch our hearts. Let these words ring true as words that belong to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 9 of Genesis chapter 8, the last part of the verse tells us that Noah, he put out his hand and he took her. And he brought her into the ark to himself. A beautiful picture of what it means to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. Listen to this. Noah sees the dove. He sees the dove. Why? Because he's waiting for her at the window. He is looking for her. Noah's looking for the dove in the same way God wonders. Are we looking for the Holy Spirit? Are we looking for the Father to come to us? Noah's at the window, and he's watching, and he's waiting, and all there is is water. He doesn't see the raven anywhere. It's off doing its own thing. It's off wreaking havoc. But the dove, he's looking for the dove. And when he sees the dove, his heart must have left. There's the dove. He reaches out his hand. He takes hold of her. He brings her into the ark. Now, folks, there's a dynamic here at work that we cannot miss when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our lives. God is looking for people who are looking for Him. He's looking for people who are looking for Him. Satan's greatest tool, I believe, in this world is distraction. Keep us looking off over somewhere else, not paying attention, so that when God's Spirit comes flying close, we're not paying attention at all. We don't see Him. We're busy cleaning up after the animals in the ark. We're busy chasing, you know, our sons down, come back, take care, you need to clean up over here. We're busy doing ark stuff instead of looking out the window and seeking the Spirit of God. God is looking for those who are looking for Him. And if you want to experience the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in your life, Christianese passivity will not work. Sitting back and waiting, well Lord, if if you want me to get baptized, you know, you'll make it happen. Lord, if you want me to be filled with your spirit, I'm sure you'll let me know. So I'm just going to hang out and, you know, you let me know. You take care of it. God, if you want me to really start reading my Bible, I'm sure you'll provide me with time to do it. Father, if you really want me to restore this relationship, you'll put me in a situation where that can happen. Folks, that's Christian passivity. It doesn't work. The Father wants people who are active, who are actively seeking, who are looking for Him. Here's an amazing thing. For all his incredible power, grandeur, and glory, God has a limitation. God has a limitation. It's one that he set up. He will not force your hand. He's not going to force anyone to accept him. He'll come to you, but the question is, will you reach out your hand, take hold of his spirit, and bring his spirit into you in the same way that Noah did with the dove? Now you may ask the question, I've been a Christian for a long time. Why don't I feel empowered? Why is it that I I don't feel more? Why am I not experiencing this outpouring? I look at the apostles and what happened with them and how outrageous it was. Why don't I experience that? Why don't I see that? Pastor John Corson puts it this way. He says, you've got the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have you? Well, you've got the Spirit. That's part of the guarantee. If you've given your life to Christ... Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No problem. You have the Spirit. But, does the Spirit have you? What do you mean, Rick? There are three different relationships with God's Spirit. And this is the most important thing we're going to talk about this morning. Three relationships with God's Spirit. Here's the first. John 14, 17. Jesus says, you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. This word with is the Greek word para. It means to come alongside of. We may have heard the word paraclete. That doesn't mean about, that doesn't mean two pairs of shoes. Paraclete is the Holy Spirit. It's one who comes alongside, who is with you, and that's what happens. That's what the spirit does in the world. The spirit is busy coming alongside people, trying to get their attention. The spirit does do that. John 16:8. Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Guess what? You didn't make a decision to become a Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, you didn't make that decision completely on your own. God's Spirit was convicting you. Now, he didn't make the choice for you, but he did come alongside you at a point in your life and start tapping on your heart. He started to knock. As Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in. We'll have dinner together. He will be with you. The Holy Spirit is very actively at work in the world. By the way, I talked about this with someone last week that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world right now in a way that he was not before he fell upon, came upon, outpoured upon the apostles at the beginning of the church. Prior to that time, the Holy Spirit. Oh, we got a dog in here. (laughs) Annie is one of the most spiritual dogs by the way that you you meet and next week's message dogs who know the Lord anyway (laughs) the Holy Spirit is at work in a way that he wasn't before in Old Testament times before Jesus came on the scene God would bestow his Holy Spirit upon people but in the same way he could just as easily withdraw his Holy Spirit now in these last days Since the church began, when the spirit comes upon a person as a gift, well not comes when he he comes alongside people, he's at work, he's safe, he's in the world right now. Very intimately connected to the church. Very intimately connected. Well, the second thing, it says that Jesus says the Spirit will be with you, but Jesus also says the Spirit will be in you. He will be in you. You know him because he abides with you, John 14, 17, and will be in you. And that's the Greek word en, en, and it literally means to indwell. And this is what happens when you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Peter connects this occurrence with something very tangible. I just mentioned it, Acts 2:38. He says when you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. It's a promise. It's a gift. And, and his Spirit comes. Now what's interesting is, we have no record of the Apostles' baptism. Do you realize that? That as much as baptism is talked about in Scripture, and it is throughout Acts, throughout, I mean, every situation of conversion, people got baptized. But we have no example in Scripture of the Apostles, those 12, being baptized themselves. I'm sure it happened. I know it happened. We just don't see it in Scripture. So when did they receive that gift of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 20, verse 20. Tells us the disciples were rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You see, this is one of these post-resurrection appearances. And he appears, and Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the apostles received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Two different things. In this moment, Jesus breathed on them and he gave them the gift, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with them. And so the Spirit can be with you and the Spirit can also be in you. But Jesus said thirdly, Jesus said the Spirit would come upon you. These are the three words that indicate the work of the Spirit. He will be with you, in you, but he also can come upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking with the apostles right before his ascension. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what Jesus said. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait, stay put, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we know that's exactly what happened in the second chapter of Acts. The outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. This is something different than the Spirit alongside and the Spirit within. This is an indication of great power. Upon is the Greek word epi. And the word power here is dunamis. Literally it means a miraculous force or strength. Now know this. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, when he breathed on the apostles, gave them his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit indwelt them. But it wasn't a miraculous power they were given at that time. Because after that, Jesus says, Now, what I want you to do is go to Jerusalem and wait. Stay put until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you receive power. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. You breathed on us. You gave us your Spirit. Yes, His Spirit indwelled them. But they had not yet received that outpouring, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Well, what's the power for? What's that all about? Gang, whenever the Spirit of God came upon a person, it was to empower them for service, for ministry. That's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It is a ministry-focused thing. If you want to go further in God's Spirit, if you want to be deeper in His will and His work, then listen closely. Three quick things. Looking at Noah, we see this. First of all, put out your hand in faith. Put out your hand in faith. The Bible tells us without faith it's impossible to please them. And Jesus also said in Matthew 5 verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness For they shall be satisfied I looked it up That word satisfied literally means gorged (laughs) You will have so much Holy Spirit You won't know what to do with yourself You ever have one of those just massive meals And then you go home And it's always this way Late at night you get like a Burger King commercial And you're sitting there going Oh, I don't want to see that right now I'm full I'm full And God says, that's the the experience. That's what I promise you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Do you want righteousness? Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? He promises a filling that is so huge, it, it literally will gorge you, overcome you, abundantly fill you. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, hey, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To who? To those who ask. For those who ask. Put out your hand in faith. Step out. Secondly, take hold with hope. Take hold with hope. In the Bible, hope is the word that means the absolute expectation of coming good. I know it's coming. I know it's happening. Titus chapter 2.13. Paul reminds us to be looking for the blessed hope. The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, Jesus is coming. He's going to call you home. Be looking for it. Look for the blessed hope. Well, if, I don't, if hope is not the absolute expectation of coming good, then what am I looking for? If Noah wasn't expecting the return of the dove, what was he looking for? Take hold with hope of the Spirit. The apostles waited, as I said before, ten days. They waited 10 days for this to happen. That's all it took. Now sometimes, and this has happened to me, sometimes you, you, you hear about this, that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No. Oh, I want that. Lord, give me the outpouring of your Spirit. No, I guess I'm not going to do it. And off we go. And then another time you might say, Lord, I, just, I, want to, I want your Holy Spirit. Fill me now. I guess he will later. He'll do it another time. The apostles waited ten days. Jesus said to wait, and they did. what they do for those ten days? They prayed intensively. They were in prayer. It says the apostles and all the women together were gathered together and they were praying and praying and praying, and they just that's what they were doing. That's how they spend their time in prayer. February two thousand and three. I went to Chicago, Illinois. Actually I was headed up to, to speak at a high school retreat and in that month in that date on the night that I got into Chicago I had a hotel room and I, I went to my room and I began at I, I, this time I've been really thinking a lot about the Spirit and, and praying for and asking the Holy Spirit to come into my life and, and not having a whole lot of success you know I mean I gave him like 5 or 10 minutes at a time <laughs> it just didn't happen so I'm in the hotel room and I'm thinking this is great my wife and kids are at home there's nobody I know here I'm all alone I've got the whole evening now's the night it's going to happen. And so I got on my knees and I began to pray. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I'm talking two hours. And it was great. And nothing happened. Nothing. And I began to think, well, maybe maybe I'm just missing something here. Now, those of you know me know that I love teaching. I love God's Word. God's Word is very tangible. It's very, you know, my, my brain takes it in and loves it. But the question is, what happens when it starts to seep from the brain into the heart? And on that night in Chicago, literally nothing happened. Nothing miraculous or fantastic. I didn't start speaking in tongues. I didn't start running up and down the halls evangelizing each person's room. I just kind of was left with a sense that God loved me. And that was good. But God takes his time in doing what he's going to do. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gives to each one as, as he wills. In, in his time. And so you wait. And so you continue to look expectantly with hope. Take hold with hope. Now listen to this and don't miss this. The third thing is receive the Spirit of God for the sake of love. Receive the Spirit of God for the sake of love. Not for the sake of experience. Oh, the experience is very real and wonderful. But it is for the sake of love. That we seek the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me, and we were talking about numbers in the Bible and things, it, it hit me on Friday. I was right here at this point in the message. And it hit me that from February to September was seven months. And it was in September, folks, when God came to me. You see, even my intellectual mind still. God said, I want you to plant a church on Northwoodby Island. I want this to happen. Now, everyone who's been around or seen anything going on for the last three months, you know, this has been a ride in the Spirit. This has been outrageous. It's been wonderful to see how he has moved and touched and and brought people together and done what he does best. When we get out of the way and just go, okay, Lord, do it. He does. He has been so radically at work in this church. And I want him to continue to have the freedom to do whatever he wants to do with this fellowship. Put out your hand in faith. Take hold with hope. Receive the Spirit of God for the sake of love. That selfless, unconditional, agape love. Now stay with me here just a second longer. Your experience of God's Holy Spirit is not for measuring personal righteousness. Let me say that again. I don't want you to miss it. Your experience of God's Spirit in your life is not for measuring personal righteousness or holiness. It is for measuring out ministry. It's for measuring out ministry. Flip now in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the last passage we'll look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Read along closely, it's very important. In verse 4, Paul is writing and he says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For the common good. He goes on and says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Someday we'll look at all these specifically. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. What's the point? The point is that the work of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, is for the common good. It's for the body. It's for the church. And He wants us to seek Him with that attitude. The heart of love. Not, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so I can be a great and glorious preacher the likes of Billy Graham. God, fill me up so that this whole valley will recognize that Rick Crawford, Pastor Rick, man, he's got the Spirit. It's not what it's about at all. That's where my journey with his Spirit began. I wanted to feel that. I wanted to be seen as more than I was before. And all the while, I believe God was looking down and going, It's not the point. God will not share His glory with anyone. Because it's about Him. Folks, the work of the Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit actively pouring Himself upon us, is for the purpose of love. That we put out our hand in faith. We take hold with hope, but we receive the Spirit of God for the sake of love. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12, He says these things, and then in, verse, in chapter 14, Paul goes on to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. But before he does, he inserts something. Chapter 13, which many of you know as the greatest treatise on love probably, well, ever written. Ever written. He's in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts and the wonder and all this. And then he says suddenly in verse 27 of chapter 12. Now you are members of Christ's body And individually members of it And God has appointed in the church First apostles Second prophets Third teachers Then miracles Then gifts of healing Helps, administrations Various kinds of tongues All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But, he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1 Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I do not have love I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but I do not have love it profits me nothing. The manifest power of the Holy Spirit is all about love. Think about this folks. Where did Jesus pour out His Holy Spirit? The first time, Acts chapter 2, where were the apostles when Jesus poured His Spirit out on them? Name the city. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Where was Jesus brutally, horrifically murdered? Jerusalem. Now, I wouldn't have done it that way. Tell you what, if I was Jesus, and it was time to pour out the Spirit on the church, I would have done it in Egypt. Or I might have gone to Afghanistan. I would have gone somewhere far away from Jerusalem so that I could point at Jerusalem and say, See what you missed? You blew it. I will not send my spirit there because that's where you cruelly murdered me. I'm going everywhere else. It's not what Jesus did. And what I believe was another extension of this act of ultimate love when Jesus died on the cross and gave himself for all people, that love continued when he chose that very same place to pour out his Holy Spirit. For the outpouring to occur. What's the point? It's all about love. If you desire God's Spirit, if you want to be caught up in the flow, especially in these last days, the outpouring of His Spirit, let me encourage you to do something. Find the person who has hurt you the most and bless them in love. Folks, they may or may not respond in like manner. That's beside the point. Find them and show them love. And in that environment of love, God will look at us and say, now you get it. And he will pour his Holy Spirit on us. If you're not a Christian, folks, all that we've been talking about awaits you. But the greatest of everything that we've been talking about is not some "ooh-a" experience. It's love. It is the love of the Father. It's the love of a family. It's the bottom line of Christianity. Love. It's not rules and regulations or hard work. Like Noah, if you want to become a believer and you're not right now, all you have to do is reach out your hand in faith and say, God, I want to be your child. Jesus, I accept your sacrificial love for me. Forgive me, clean me, make me yours. It's truly that simple. If you are a believer in Jesus but desire to be caught up in the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, take hold with expectant hope and receive the Spirit for the sake of of love. God is searching for active participants in His plan today. Do you want to be part of His plan? Do you want to be caught up in the flow? Then take hold with hope. Reach out and draw Him in in love. Take a cue from Noah and embrace the dove and bring the Spirit to yourself. Let's pray together. Jesus, what a pleasure it is to be in this place with these people seeking you. What a great thing it is, Lord, to be surrounded by our children, for them to be hearing of your word, to worship with them and together. Father, it truly feels like a family in this place, even when the dog comes in the door. But God, we're not here just to be a family, we're not here to be a club. We're not here as a social event or gathering. We are here, Father, because your Holy Spirit has drawn us to this place. And because we believe that your Spirit has a work for us to do. Jesus, I long for and I expect your return. I consider it a daily possibility. And I can't wait until that happens. But, Father, more than anything else, I want to be caught up in the outpouring of your Spirit. Not so that I can be special, or different but Father so that Jesus and his message can be poured out in this this environment in this world Father the time is limited it's short and while we have breath and while we live on this earth I pray Holy Spirit that you will overcome us set aside our fleshly desires our passions our hungers and fill us up truly with your fruit work through us Father use us touch our lives And may we remain your servants until Jesus comes again. If you want to receive this morning Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the gift of his Holy Spirit, the promise that he gives in Scripture, and you haven't done that in your life before, I would ask you to pray along with me in your heart to the Father. Dear Jesus, my Father, I pray that you'll forgive me of my sin. That you'll make me clean. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. That you came into this world, died, and resurrected again so that I might live with you. Come into my heart now and be my Lord and my Savior. And if you are a believer... And you simply want to see and experience the flow of the Holy Spirit over your life, over your heart, more than ever before. Pray with me. Father, I just want to be your instrument. Jesus, I want to be your tool. Holy Spirit, I give up myself to you. Overtake me and do as you will. All these things.